Hey there, this is Ben Currier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. In this podcast, we'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Hey, it's Ben here, and in addition to this podcast, I also teach Microsoft Excel online. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information and use the coupon code FAILURE for 20% off of the lifetime access to the course. Stay tuned after the episode for a little bit more information as to why it's so important to improve your Excel skills and unlock your inner Excel ninja. Thanks. Uh, Hey there, friends of failure, and welcome to this week's episode of the Failure Guy podcast. I am here with Christopher J. Worth. Chris, how are you doing? And sorry if you don't like Chris. I'm doing awesome. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Can you give the listeners a little bit of background on you and feel free to make it as braggy as you want. Give us all the highs so that when we hit those lows, we can remember the stakes involved, I guess. That's like seven, maybe eight questions all in one. But uh, I think the the best way to to kind of start is I was a former college athlete. I got into coaching college, high school, AU basketball, was involved in the financial world for a while. And I started my own company, No Quit Living, which turned into a podcast, which has turned into a couple of books along the way. And I'm a mental performance coach now as my primary core business. I get the opportunity to work with a bunch of businesses, a lot of sports teams, colleges, high schools, and I just love what I do. And and I love your your topic of, of failure because I think for me, it's just such a powerful way to really look at and address where you've been in life, where you want to go, areas you've fallen short, areas you've succeeded in. And for me, just uh, the opportunity to jump on a show and, and be on the other end of, of the microphone is, is always fun because I feel most of the time I'm always asking the questions. Good. Well, yeah, you can tell me how good I am at asking questions, but uh, I, I'm interested to hear your relationship with failure because you're a positivity guy. You are the, you're a uh, keeping it keeping it always forward-looking and motivational. How do you handle the word failure? Are you are you anti-failure in terms of the, the phrasing um, kind of person? I know you don't call it a failure, but and neither do I really. But I, I think people oftentimes don't do things out of fear of failure. So I don't know what your relationship is with it. Yeah, I think the last thing you said was, was spot on is, is people don't do things because of fear of failure. And I have to say the concept and the word failure for me in my early 40s now has totally transformed over the last probably five to 10 years. And I don't think that I had a a negative look at it, nor did I address it as, oh my God, this person failed. But going back, I was and still am a huge basketball fan. I was a huge Michael Jordan fan. And when you look at Michael Jordan from the 3000 foot view today in 2021, you look at the, or most people think of the six NBA championships. They think of his success as an Olympian with the dream team. And they look at that and they frame that as first and foremost, Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. I take it a different perspective where I myself did not make, I got cut my sophomore year in high school for my varsity team, just as Michael Jordan did. And I'm not in any way plugging that I'm the same level, but that's where the similarities stop. <laughs> I think that's where they probably uh, start and stop. Um, but I, I look at that from the perspective of, okay, well, he wasn't undefeated all along. And I have studied Michael Jordan. I've studied a bunch of other athletes, Tom Brady being one of them. And I think for me, going back to your question, is it's not only how you frame it, but I think the biggest thing for failure is how do you learn from it? And I define failure as when you totally give up on something. And I think that is, is going back to your last point you made, is people don't usually do things or attempt things because of the fear of failure. I actually look at people and embrace people that have failed something but then gotten better, learn from it, maybe have failed a couple of times along the way. But then fast forward months, a year, a couple of years down the road, they've become unbelievably successful because of, of what they've accomplished. Now, you look at somebody like Thomas Edison, who, quote unquote, failed so many times before he created the light bulb. 
I don't know if I myself would ever say that he failed along the way. I think I would say that he found what ways didn't work. He realized, okay, I need to move the ball down the field to get to eventually the end zone. And I think when you look at things like that and you put them in perspective, you can always learn. But again, going back to your point is I think you only fail when you fully give up and you say, I'm never doing this or I'm never trying this ever again. Yeah. And even that might not be a failure if it's something you shouldn't be doing. You know, that could be just a learning of that. That wasn't the path I should be taking for me. Like I might be done with corporate America, but that's remains to be seen because it's my main uh, skill set in, in what I went to school for. But how, how do you maintain your seemingly superhero level of just ability to keep doing things? You know, that's a, that's a fantastic way you asked. I've, I've been asked that question in probably 200 different ways, but never to that perspective. And I think for me, it's probably cliche, but it's because I've, I've gotten knocked down so many times along the way. And I can honestly say I've learned, I think, the skill set of how do I attack this differently? And I didn't like falling on my face from that specific event. How do I make sure I don't fall on my face again? And I think to your point, people always ask me like, oh, are you always positive? You always have great days. And I always find it funny because I think a lot of people with the name No Quit Living in the book series, The Positivity Tribe, people are like, oh, this guy's always positive and he wakes up every morning, you know, at you know, two in the morning and he's smiling and never tired and never in a bad mood. And the reality is that that couldn't be more far from the truth. But when I have those days, I'm not feeling like going to the gym or I don't feel like doing this or I'm not in a good mood or I'm tired. It's saying, okay, I'm going to acknowledge this. I'm going to address it. And I'm not going to bed at 5 a.m. So I can either move forward in a positive direction and try to make the most out of this. And I think for me, I've learned so many ways and I've connected with so many amazing people that I just take different things from all of them. And I think that superhuman question is, I think I've taken like the superpowers from anybody and everybody I've connected with and said, okay, how do I take a little bit from him and her? And how do I you know, take some of that and have it rub off for me so I can be the best version of myself. And can honestly say as a 43-year-old now, I think I've learned so much over the past 43 years that I almost feel superhuman when it comes to positivity and not quitting because I've been so incredibly fortunate to learn from just some amazing people along the way. Are there any people you'd like to give a shout out to right now as being particular? And we are not leaving out anybody who should clearly obviously be mentioned. So if anybody, you know, not that the listenership is huge, but if any of the, any of the people who deserve a shout out are listening, clearly that's uh, not the intent. The intent was if there's any, uh, any memorable and specifically valuable lessons you learned from uh, other people that you either met or idolized. Yeah. I, I think my twin brother, Michael Jordan, no, one, one of them ironically, is he's become a a friend, but the author and the speaker, John Gordon, I had my first son in 2009 and I read the book, The Energy Bus, and it really hit me and it kind of led me to doing a bunch of what I do now. So, so John is definitely one of those people. And then, you know, ironically, but it's, it's, there's not one specific person, but I, I would like to to just give a shout out to to John. And then I can honestly say over the past three years, there have been so many people that have just come in and it's not even a, a big thing here and there. Sometimes it's just that little connection or that little introduction that that somebody makes. But but John's probably the first first person I want to really um, acknowledge because he's led me down directly and indirectly the path I'm on today. So you're all aboard the energy bus, whatever that means. <laughs> I'm all aboard the energy bus. I love it. <laughs> okay. So I guess as part of the theme of the podcast, since you seem to have so many things going well from the outside, like we all do with our you know, social media highlight reel, would you like to step into some of the, the more difficult times? I know you've specifically mentioned some, some marital problems over the years, but you can take it down any path you want. I like I like how you how you title it marital problems. Yeah, so for me, in 2017 to 2019, I went through a, a very difficult divorce, and uh, I don't know a lot of people have gone through positive or victorious divorces, but for me, it was very difficult at first, and it was very challenging, and then it was probably 
six to eight months into the divorce that I realized there was one of two ways to continue down this road. And, and for me, I've always been somebody that reflects on things in the past, not from a woulda, coulda, shoulda, but more from the perspective of how can I learn from this? To say that it happened overnight and I just quickly snapped a finger and, and I said, oh, you know, this, this didn't happen to me. It happened for me. And I'm so grateful for, you know, an expensive divorce, a you know, challenging divorce. But like I said, it was about six to eight months into the, the divorce process where I began to think of it in what's coming down the road. I began to see the you know, the finish line of the actual divorce and being finished in, in court and, and getting an opportunity to, you know, close that chapter of the book. And it doesn't mean that I embraced it and, and I welcomed it and I was celebrating it, but it got to the point where I was reflecting from how do I become better and how do I learn from this and how do I better deal with these type of challenges down the, down the road. And I think the interesting point of view is, it doesn't have to be somebody's divorce. It doesn't have to be a failed business. It doesn't have to be, you know, not making a team or something like that. It, it can be whatever you're going through, but you get to a point where you have to stay or you get the opportunity to say, I'm learning from this. It doesn't take away the pain or the struggle or the cost, you know, financially, emotionally, mentally, but it does make it a little bit easier to handle. And, and I think for me, some of the incredible people I've met during that process, some of the incredible relationships I've formed during and after it, I can honestly say that if I didn't welcome slash embrace what was to come in the future, I don't know if I would have been as in tune with those conversation relationships where I am today. And, and I'm super grateful that I came to that realization and, and I owe a bunch of um, help. I, I was speaking with a child psychologist, because I have three young kids during the process to kind of understand a bunch of the things. And, and I did a lot of work on myself during that process. And I'd like to say that I'm a much better version of myself today than I was when it started and prior to that. And I think selfishly, I'll be a much better husband and, and father now and in the future than I was having gone through this. But it doesn't alleviate, nor does it take away a lot of the pain and struggle along the way. And I think you know, now I'm in a good place, but I definitely felt like I was continually banging my head against the wall. And it was almost like as soon as I tied my shoes, somebody would trip me from the other side and I'd fall down again. But I think it's it's that old um, Japanese proverb, fall down seven, get up eight times. And and I never understood that. And, and a buddy of mine, and he and I talk about this all the time, but how can you fall down seven times and get up eight times? So I, I for any listeners out there, would love some, if there's some science behind it. But I think if you fall down seven times, you get back up seven times. But it, I love that that idea because what it means to me is, and it's humorous and you're smiling and I'm smiling, but it means almost in my mind that you fall down a certain amount of times, but you get up more than you fell, which I don't know how it's possible, but that's kind of my mentality is like, no matter what, today, tomorrow, next year, I'm always going to get back up. So here's my take on it. It's a, and first of all, I, I um. I had just recently established an email signature in my pod.fail domain and it it auto-populated with that quote and I left it there, uh, oddly enough. And I think it's because you have to get up the first time. You don't start life standing up. So that's how I'm going to let them get away with it, you know, because otherwise I don't see a way around it. Uh, but I hadn't even questioned it until you just said that. I'm glad that you said you're going to let them go away with, get away with it. Cause if not, I I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, you'll just go back to whatever the creation of that and say, look, you got to not only change everything, but change, you know, literally whatever that date is up until now you have to edit it or correct it, please. Yeah. We got to go back thousands of years and figure out how to cancel this person in, <laughs> you know, retrospect. Uh, I, I am curious in relation to the divorce. I see a quote behind you that says it's always too early to quit. I've noticed the no quit living title. How did you reconcile the divorce and the non-quitting? Um, what do you mean by reconciling the divorce? And non-quitting? It seems like a divorce would mean quitting a marriage in some senses, but apparently you probably had a different viewpoint on it. I'm just curious. What, at, at what point do you give up in the best meaning possible to the that term and realize that something isn't something you should pursue anymore with, considering the no quit aspect of your uh, per, you know personality 
Yeah, that, that's an awesome question. I've never been been asked that that way. And I think the the answer to that for me, it's a very black and white answer, is when it comes to something that you only control a certain perspective or a certain component to, it takes more than one person to to get married. It takes more than you know one person to to get divorced. Obviously, there's there's you know you can fight back and forth. But I think I realized that during the the tough times, I I'm not going to speak for for my ex. Um, I think we both tried in in many ways. I think we both tried to see things from different points of view, but I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to speak for her. I'm going to speak for myself on this is I got to the point where I realized that there was no fixing the situation because I couldn't control her or her emotions, her thoughts, just like she couldn't control my thoughts, my emotions, what I said, what I felt. And I think in that perspective, it's going to be super, super cliche in some ways, but I think in that perspective, it's not quitting in some ways because you have to come to a realization that I think if you had stayed in that, we had stayed in that, it would have led to just even worse um, circumstances down the road. So I think in some ways you're closing that chapter so you can open up the next chapter. And I know that's a little bit cliche, but I think when it comes to to not quitting in that in that question you asked and you and you did ask it in, in a really in a really neat way is you get to the point where you say, look, I can't control that person or that thing. And I know you've heard the concept of controlling the controllables, Mm -hmm. no control over her and she had no control over me. And I think it got to a point where indirectly we both were saying the same thing of, look, you know, we're moving forward. The only question is how long is it going to take in, in the courts and how much money we were both going to pay our, our attorneys. And I think at the end of the day, they both won uh, definitely uh, the best part about that deal. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's usually how that goes. I think another way you could reframe it is that uh, by doing nothing and staying in a marriage that isn't working is quitting, but just the opposite way. It's quitting from, you know, from a a difficulty standpoint and not really facing up to what's actually happening. I love that. And and I think that that's that's a perfect analogy. And I also think you could use that same example in in a business setting. You know, it's it's two business partners or multiple investors. You just staying in that business and you're barely getting, you know, getting by. And it's almost like month by month, you're just at the same place in the same place. And, you know, it's like, I think if you stay in that, in that business or that venture, you know, you fast forward six years, you're going to be in the exact same place. You know, you're not going to be an inch ahead, an inch behind. And I think that to your point is quitting. If you say at that point, well, I'm just going to continue to do this, you know, even though nothing good is going to come out of it, but at least I'll be alive in six years from now. Path of least resistance can be a form of quitting for sure. See, I like you got to quote that and use that. I like that. I like that you said selfishly you'll be a better husband to the next person. I don't know how that's selfish, but I'm curious in what ways you think you'll be uh, an improved spouse in, for the next go around if you get lucky enough to to have that. I think yeah, no, that's that's a really that's a really important question, and I think it's it's from the the point of view that you learn how to handle things differently. You learn how to communicate better. I think for me, sometimes in my past, not just in the marriage, but in, in conversations, we are so fixated on being heard and expressing our point of view or our thought or opinion. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think you should be just as excited about, just as interested in expressing your point of view, opinion, or thought as you are understanding where the other person is coming from. And I think it's it's understanding that it's a two-way street and understanding that it doesn't have to be zero or a hundred where you and I could think differently and say, all right, Ben, tell me a little bit about you know, why you still feel this way, because I'd like to understand it. doesn't mean I'm going to change my opinion and just say, okay, you're right, I'm wrong. But at least at the end of that conversation, we should both be able to express the other person's opinion and say, this is what Ben feels and this is what I feel. Ultimately, we, we both might be on the different side of the fence, but at least we can have that conversation. And for me, I've just seen it in, in personal relationships, business relationships that I'm listening more attentively. I'm trying to understand the other person more from a understanding versus right or wrong. And, and I think, you know, fast forward down the road, if I'm lucky enough to, to have that experience again, is I think appreciating some of those little things along the way and, and also not highlighting 
that person's fault and and not to say that my ex or I highlighted those things, but I think during the challenging times, it's a lot easier to see somebody's faults than it is uh, identify their their good things when you know you're really you know in essence it's kind of like in your you're in the boxing ring you know when someone's punching you or punching at you you're not really thinking like oh he's a really nice oh, I really mm-hmm. like oh it's a really nice you know mustache he's got you know you're ducking and, and fighting for your life and I think it doesn't matter how how good you are, how much of a good person you are when you're doing that, it's really hard to to look for the good or see the good when, you know, you're having a, a boxing glove firing at your face. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been in a lot of relationships uh, and a lot of them have failed for, for similar reasons. Most of the time my fault. And so even this podcast was a selfishly conceived venture into getting better at listening or getting better at not interrupting or getting better at a lot of things that you have to do as a host. I'm sure you know as well. And I'm sure you've benefited from being a host for, I don't know, 10 times as many episodes as I have in terms of listening to people, actually understanding where they're coming from and empathizing better. Cause I've uh, grown up Irish Catholic stuff, your feelings down, don't talk about it. We, you know, I, I certainly have not been great about it and I'm still not, not amazing, but, uh, I think that's part of why I started doing this kind of thing. Cause if I'm interviewing somebody, I have to be listening to them. I cannot be interrupting them. And if I'm not actually taking in what they're saying, it's going to come across like shit, obviously. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that that's something that's going to be useful in, in relationships. Cause I thankfully haven't had to go through a divorce, but I think that's just cause I've had relatively poor role models in terms of marriage. Uh, but Go ahead. Sorry. Go through it if you if you get a chance. It's it's really uh, eye opening and it really gives you some tough skin. So I would I would highly recommend you just give it a shot every every now and then. Randomly get married? I uh, know. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> randomly get married or purposely get married. I was talking more on the divorce side, uh, but if I I don't know anybody really who's other than like movies who's randomly got married. Like hey, like what do you sorry, What's your name? Oh, Jen- yeah, well, let's get married. Oh, cool. Let's do it. Yeah. What are you doing this weekend? <laughs> yeah, probably less likely. I'm curious if I know we've talked about marriage mostly in the podcast realm. Have you had failures? Cause you've been doing it for a long time. It couldn't have started off um, as, as you know, as good as it is now, at least uh, have you had any, any big blunders? I've, I've lost whole halves of episodes, whole episodes. I have stuff from seven months ago. I haven't edited. Those are some of my own failures, including also not caring what microphone I'm using. So like, you know, I've messed up a bunch of ways, but I'm curious what which ones stand out to you as being like lessons learned from mistakes in podcasting. I I, I love how you said the last piece, lessons learned, and and I I can honestly say, with the podcast I've released, and as I share with you, having a second show coming out, I've probably recorded 375, almost 400 now. Some have never been released, some won't be released. But going back to the beginning of the podcast world. I can't even listen to uh, <laughs> early ones and, and not that in any way am I saying I'm, I'm the most amazing, but from a analytical point of view, c- certain things such as, um, like, you know, he goes, those things now I'm observant of. And, and I think the one thing I've realized also is asking questions, listening, pausing are all things you learn during the, the podcasting world, but to your point about technology and microphones, and I, it's interesting. I, in my prior office, not this one I'm in now recording, I didn't know this because I'm not an editor. My partner and my editor, my podcast, he said to me, he said, you know, there's a very slight humming that goes on at about 2.30 every afternoon. And I was like, what are you talking about? And based on when I sent him the episodes and, and how he, he could hear, like it would click up in the roof. And I was like, that's pretty interesting. So learning all those things, microphones, certain things not being connected. I had one of my best interviews, but actually it's the only two interview podcasts I've ever done. I send it to my editor and he's like, I got it. It's great. There's nothing there. And I'm like, what are you talking? And it was fantastic interview. And for some reason, my equipment didn't work. So then I had to figure out, here's a, here's a funny story for you. I got to figure out how to go back to that guest who had a very successful show, was a very successful author. And now I had to put my tail between my legs and, and basically say to him, hey, so remember that hour long podcast interview that you said you loved and I said I loved? 
I lied. I didn't really love it as much as I said I did. So could we re-record it? So I go back to this guy and I'm trying to finagle my wording. And so finally I said, you know what? I'm not going to lie. I'm just going to tell him. And he turns around and he says, he says, Chris, I record everything on my end as well. Just for that reason. He said, if you give me five minutes, I'll send you, you know, the tracks via email. And I'm like, oh, already. So long story short, that's just the one example of, of all the blunders I've had along the way microphone being turned up too high, too low, accidentally muting something, internet going down. I've had every conceivable probably thing that's happened over these almost 400 episodes. But back to your to your whole title of what you do and why you do it, and, and I think it's an awesome concept. I could have either put my, my tail between my legs and said, this is not for me, it's too challenging. Or I said, at some point, it'll be funny down the road when I can share all the, you know, good and the bad. But I said, ultimately, I'm going to become a better version of myself. And and I've had things such as not muting my telephone in the office when all of a sudden I'm interviewing and this is ringing. And all of a sudden I've had literally one of my assistants has hit me on the intercom like, hey, Chris, like so-and-so's on the phone during an interview. And I'm just like, all right. I was like, now I got to mute my phone or I need to put it on do not disturb. And you know, all of a sudden I've had like videos just click on in my other computer and I'm just like, oh my God, this is, this is like juggling with three balls. And all of a sudden someone, you know, throws five more in at the same time and say, oh, you can juggle, just juggle with eight. And you're like, no, I can do three only. And just barely. Uh, I, I like it because um, my thing, if I mess up, it's part, it's on brand. So, you know, if, if I fail and I have to admit to it, either to the audience or to the person who I was talking to, at least they shouldn't expect anything less from, from the world's number one failure. So uh, I like that. I, th- I think um, just the way you look at, at things is great. My biggest lesson I think I learned was besides getting all the technical stuff right, I still struggle with the those placeholder words you're talking about. I noticed new ones, like I'm curious is a good one. I, I always say I'm curious as a lead into some random question. And I'm like, I got to stop doing that. I can't keep you know, and and I'm editing all these, so I I have to re-listen to myself and all this stupidity that that might have gone down in certain episodes. But if you're editing yourself, then just I mean, if you can time it perfectly, just take out. I'm curious. It's it's awesome that you said that because I've had. Would you? How did you term it? Placeholder words. I think you said. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what Seth Godin called it in a recent podcast. And it's it's also what I was saying before is pausing. So what people do pause a pause in a public speech in a video it's looked at from that person as i'm nervous so they insert a word and nine out of ten times it's it's something that doesn't need to be inserted um like you know well let me ask you a question or i'm curious so i was doing the same thing myself i i didn't i don't think i ever did i'm curious but i had so many of those placeholders that were just filling in and i remember one interview i listened to i kid you not i, I can't remember who it was but I said the same placeholder word or words for five or six questions in a row. So let's say it was, I'm curious. It was literally back to back to back to back questions where I'd be like, Ben, I'm curious. I'm glad that you touched on your book. I'm curious, Ben. And I went back, listened to it. And, and I said to myself, this is painful to, to listen to. How do I, and again, it's, but then it's going back and looking that from the point of view of, I can either dwell on this and just, you know, continually say it was terrible, or I can say, all right, I really didn't like how that sounded. I'd like to change it. What are some of those things I can use? And you can't see it now, but I have words and questions that are up on my my on my board behind me. So as I'm doing interviews, there's certain things I'm like, ooh, okay, you said I'm curious eleven times, like probably say something <laughs> than that. Yeah, you can't see behind me, but I've got a bunch of laundry and a bunch of other stuff that's like not uh, helping me at all, just visually confusing me and distracting me. <laughs> Your laundry, if you could expand a little bit. Yeah, it needs to be done. I'm curious why it hasn't been done uh, or why I struggle so much. The, what I have been told, or at least the the advice Seth Godin gives, which I realized a long time ago, but this was during, so I do online Excel training, which I mentioned to you beforehand. But these are all pre-recorded and it's just me talking myself. So it's not like there's a lot of stress in terms of like making sure the back and forth goes well. But the best advice I've heard is to take whatever placeholder words you have, pick one. This is what Seth Godin says. So let's say it's um, use that one all the time and then replace that with 
blank space with a pause, like you're saying, because the pause, well, A is way easier to edit out than an um. I'm pretty good at getting the um wavelength these days, but uh, really comes across as more professional. You seem like you know what you're talking about more. And the words you say gain more meaning when you intentionally use pauses. But it's really tempting to want to just fill it with with random things. So if anyone's struggling with that, I think that's a good, it's, good it's way the, to get around it. It's the biggest fear when you talk about speaking, podcasting, it's that pause that it's almost like in the back of your mind, oh my God, someone's going to turn it off. Let me just throw and And you just, you typically throw in the worst word or the worst phrase that's not like you said, um, um, that's never a con, you know, connector word. you know, we're back in fifth grade, the teacher, right? So as you finish one sentence or the other, just put um between it, you know, that they quickly yeah. need to have a connection to the first sentence, the second sentence. It's never Today's lessons. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, they don't do that on Sesame street. <laughs> How many times can you use um in one paragraph? We think if you could do it six or seven times, it'll probably be really good for your English paper. Yeah, but they don't teach you public speaking that much. And I think even if I was offered a class, I'd probably just drop it because it's so because <laughs> it was scary at the time. I remember dropping a negotiating class because you had to film yourself in your negotiations. And once I heard that was part of the syllabus, I was like, I'm out. See you later. I just won't know how to go negotiate. It's fine because um, a lot. And I just didn't know I'm there. A lot of people hate the idea of either public speaking being recorded the hyper awareness that you feel sometimes especially when you're first getting started can be debilitating because you the worst time to think about what you're going to say is while you're saying it and so and that's when you um you know have you heard of the organization toastmasters yeah i have i've been i've been once i won some little award for something i did during it or a little pl- uh, piece of paper it wasn't of like a amazing award but those are great because and you can you can explain to the listeners what the what the whole thing is but i like how there's different people with different roles uh who who track a lot of that stuff yeah so i so i was a double major in college i was a business major as well as a drama major so i was comfortable with what's called being on stage and and speaking but toastmasters is to my knowledge, the only public speaking organization that's worldwide. I know there's a bunch of other things, but to your point, what they do at Toastmasters is they have very specific roles per each session. And, and there are some, I think, that that meet bi-weekly, maybe once a month. I'm sure they're different forms, but they have people that are timers. They have people that count things such as um or other words. They have people that will help facilitate the meetings. And the reason I asked you about uh, Toastmasters is the, I've been multiple times and, and I really enjoyed it because it helps you become a better speaker. But I remember the first time I ever went to one, I was nervous. I didn't really know what to expect. I did some research, but anytime you're in a new environment and there was probably maybe 30, 35 people and they're doing these, I think they're called table topics, like quick 30 second to a minute, just random questions that you could go up, not a lot of preparation and go. And some of the people that were visiting were encouraged to go. So I was like, all right, I'll just go up. And it was a minute question. And I kid you not, there was a counter, um, counter in the timer. So they'd say, Chris, you went for, or you spoke for 48 seconds and you said this. So I'm going, I answered the question. I felt really good about it. I sat down, the counter said, you were at 56 seconds. So it's good. You were under the minute. Most people go over, you, you stayed on on track. You made a good, so I'm, I'm thinking, feeling good about myself. Then the next, the um counter was like, all right, you said, um, 16 times or something like that. And, and I remember I was like, okay, so 16 times out of less than a minute, I'm like, so basically I was, so in my mind, all I was thinking was I basically went up for a minute and every two words was, um, and, and it just hit me where I said to myself, I probably can get better at this, but the statistics of people would rather jump out of an airplane. People would rather have a spider crawl in them than they would like to make a public speech. And for me, that's just asinine to me because as much as I do or don't like public speaking, I'd much rather talk, give a speech than jump out of an airplane or have a spider crawl on me. But statistically speaking, people are beyond afraid of, of public speaking. Yeah. Uh, and that is an impressive UPM or an um per minute. Uh, <laughs> I'm impressed by it. <laughs> I, I, what was the what was the last thing you just said? 
because I had something on it. UPM. What's what's your UPM record? Oh, I did 16 in one minute. Congratulations. You are the <laughs> record holder for the UPM. Oh, I used to own a website called worsethandeath.net, I think, because I was it was going to be about public speaking. I own like 70 domains. So <laughs> every time it comes renewal time, I have to think, oh, am I ever going to do anything with this thing? So that one's gone, I'm pretty sure. But it was about how people would literally rather die in a metaphorical sense than than get on a stage it's shocking again i'm not i'm not a supporter of of doing crazy things but i just i i have a tough time saying i'd rather die than get up on stage for a minute and talk i think they all would would recant that because there's no way you (laughs) you'd be whatever at the gallows or whatever and you'd be like okay i'll make the speech now (laughs) you know i don't think they're really gonna go through with it but but Either one. I mean, it's really they don't want to face either one, I guess. Sure, Ben. You, you, if you don't do this in 45 seconds, we're going to we're going to bring the firing squad out. So you should like, no, no, I'll do it. I'll, I'll give the speech. All right. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. What's my topic? Because <laughs> it doesn't matter. I need to save my life now. And uh, but it is crazy. It, and it, but it makes sense because a lot of people. I mean, that's why I can't do stand-up comedy. I'll, I'll eventually ask you what your get out of fail free card is. But mine would be stand-up comedy because the amount of failure that's baked into it and how much you get an immediate sense of how you're doing and how poorly you're doing. And I haven't done any of it. So this is all based on me hypothetically putting myself in that position, but it's, it's like, it's such a requirement to bomb that I can't even put myself there mentally. I'd need to be like polished for some reason. I need to be killing it off the, off the get go, even though I know that's not how it works at all. I was in a men's improv group in college and my best friend from high school is a fairly successful comedian and not, not to say I'm coming from a a place of professional comedy or anything like that. But the difference for me was just knowing my buddy and, and seeing him and supporting him. You can have a, a bunch of stuff already planned. So you have your go-to jokes that you know hit well. I'm not in any way saying it's easy, but what I've found from the improv is when you open it up to real improv and not, you know, people that are in the in the audience that are, you know, those people that are going to say things that you know or you they'll say something that you're ready for. When you go out to a different form and it's totally improv and people are just throwing out stuff talk about bombing really quickly I, I remember the and the challenge for us is as as a men's improv group we all used to mess with each other in a good way so when we did public things where we didn't know we didn't have any plants in the audience if you were delivering something and you just fell on your face we would the other guys would look at each other and be like all right let's let ben sit here for like another three or four seconds so not only did you fall down on your face but then you know it's almost like you know, metaphorically, you're looking up and, and, you know, putting your hands for, you know, people to help you up in the, in the back of my mind. We're like one, 1,000, two, 1,000. They're all holding life preservers and not throwing them out to you. Just yeah. watching and waiting and enjoying. I imagine. Cause it's not them. <laughs> He's, he, the last thing you said was, was not just watching and waiting, but enjoying. It's like, all right, Ben, I think Ben's going to cry. All right, we'll give him five. All right. He's crying. We'll, we'll help him out. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's bail him out. But that that's I think I could do better with improv just because I feel like there's a lower bar uh, of like, you know, at least what people will expect when it's a polished comedy set. I feel like they want it to be hit after hit in terms of like making you laugh. But I feel like improv would be the way I'd have to start the path towards that because even so much of it just seems so stressful. So I, I say to use fear as fuel, but I lie in terms of I don't follow that enough, you know, <laughs> I, I succumb to the fear more than more than I'd like to admit. But I think to bring it back to forever ago, Toastmasters is also a great uh, way of getting good at that. And they're so supportive that you don't feel judged. They're not trying to hold the life preserver back They're They're like, here's a bunch of different tools and here's a new boat to get on uh, because, you know, we've been there. Here's a kickboard. Here's a floaty. Uh, no, I, but I, but I, I, I agree with you, and I think it's, it, it's ironic that we can bring this back home from our little comedic uh, venture. But I think, to your point, it's it's those skills and tools that they give you. So it's not that you go into a room and they say, okay, Ben, welcome to Toastmasters. We expect within the next five minutes you'll be the world's greatest speaker. But if and when you start to drown, mm-hmm. we're not going to 
you know, watch you drown. And then, you know, like, all right, he's, he's taking too much water. We'll save him. <laughs> They're going to give you all those tools along the way. And I, I think to, to your point, it's almost like as you walk into Toastmasters, before you do anything, they give you that backpack in the backpack, it's a life preserver, a kickboard, some floaties. And it's like, all right, you're going to go down. Here's this, here's the skills and tools to make sure you don't go down too far. It's great. Cause I'm curious. Have <laughs> you noticed how much you say to your point? Cause I'm, I'm at like a good five or six times now that I've heard you say to your point, just giving you that one as a freebie in case you want to think about it because while I do think I make great points uh, hopefully <laughs> hopefully that's just something that I, I'll just take credit I'll say I make amazing points and maybe that's not one of your go-tos but to your point <laughs> to your point I'm curious about that to your point <laughs> definitely curious to your point yeah I'll, I'll I'll make sure to give you a counter I'll let you know how many were at the end but I like it because it always makes me feel like I made a point and, you know, I'm, I'm frequently in denial that that has ever happened. So I, I appreciate it for sure. I love that. Well, to your point, I, I also appreciate it. I'm, and I'm curious about your curiosity to, to that point. Uh, do you have any specific thoughts on failure? I've got the, the last two questions coming up. I don't want to make you go over. I don't know what other many things you have to do today, uh, but. Before we get to the forward-looking stuff, is there anything about failure or the topic of failure or anything in that realm that you want to make sure you touch on before we uh, get get to the future? <laughs> before we get to the future, as opposed to get into the past. No, I, I think the this the last thing that all, all jokes aside is, I I really love your concept and the idea of of failure, and and I'm sure you've asked it in many different ways and we'll continue to tweak some of the questions based on the guests. But I think the the big thing for me is goes back to one of my all-time favorite Zig Ziglar quotes, which is failure is an event, not a person. And I know that sounds great and it's easy for me to say, and it's harder to really wrap your hands around and, and fully embrace it. But for any listener out there now is is the reality of life, it's not a question of whether you're going to get knocked down. We all get knocked down. We'll continue to get knocked down. But the question is, when you get back up, do you become a better version of yourself? Are you open and willing to become a better version of yourself? And, and I think just framing that idea of the Zig Ziglar quote is failure is an event, not a person. And just because you fail or I fail, it doesn't mean that you are a failure. It means that you have failed at something. And the question is, what are you going to learn from it? And going back to my Michael Jordan analogy early on and why I really appreciate what he's done, he's not been a undefeated owner of a team in the NBA. He's had his struggles. They've changed names. They've moved. He's had multiple coaches. But Played baseball. I remember that. He played for the Chicago White Sox. He played his last NBA run. He was on the Wizards when he came back the third or fourth or 15th. But but I think when you look at Michael Jordan, just in that realm of being a, an owner, he hasn't quit in the sense of saying, okay, I'm done. I'm selling it. He's learning. He's tweaking it. He's trying to become a better version of himself. And I think that Zig Ziglar quote really just it hits home for me. Yeah. I mean, and for me too, because mine's, it's not a final destination. It's not where I want to be. It's a stepping stone on the way to success, which I have not yet achieved. So if there was a possibility for me to achieve any modicum of success by being the world's number one failure, that comedically would laugh me to death almost because of how stupid it is. And But it's gotten less stupid over time. The initial idea seemed ridiculous and now it actually starting to make sense which uh, i'm happy about at least i think it's a i think it's a, a really cool way that you've embraced it and and all jokes aside it it's to your to your comment before it's that stepping stone you learn where you're going and and you get better and hopefully you don't make those same mistakes three four five six times you make them once or twice and and learn from them or hopefully move on to a different way uh, of going about it yeah one thing I've noticed, I don't think I've mentioned to the listeners is so my dog, who's uh, sometimes getting in the background of things, his name is Goofy and uh, get out of fail free is goof, 
with two Fs at the end. So I don't know what there is there. I don't even know if there's a reason to mention it, but <laughs> I'm just going to say it because it seems like it's destined to be, and I don't know why. So as a guest on the show, I'm going to fake hand you a, a get out of fail free card. It's going to be my AirPod case. So here you go. And uh, you can use this get out of fail free card, similar to the Monopoly card, except you're not getting out of jail, but you're able to pursue maybe it's that improv career, maybe it's something else, uh, a career hobby interest thing that's so riddled with failure that you've avoided even the idea of pursuing it, but you'd be like, oh, I would love to live that life. Uh, what would you What would you use that card for? Professional basketball player or a professional tennis player? Hands down. I, I think... The- Got to pick one. Uh, professional... <laughs> you get one card. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, basketball. I'm going there. <laughs> what do you love about basketball so much? Just curious. Just my all-time favorite sport. I think it's the epitome of of team sport. It's five five guys or five girls just getting after it. And I just think there's the individual perspective of it. There's the team perspective. There's the offense, the defense. It's one of the only sports where you play offense and defense all the time, and there's no breaks. There's no stoppage during that. If you turn the ball over, you just go. Uh, and I just – I've always loved it. And and I'm sure it goes back to the fact that my dad was and is a, a big basketball guy. And it's just something that I, I've really enjoyed and playing it in college and coaching it in college. I think it's always in my blood in some way. Yeah. I mean, you have great basketball shaped heads, so that, that doesn't hurt. I think tennis is a great one in terms of being on offense and defense all the time, but not a team sport unless you're doing doubles, obviously. So I don't know if that plays into your, your enjoyment of that. I, never played on it. So I was president of the mini golf club in high school. That's about my biggest sports accolade. I didn't know they had a mini golf team. So I'm going to, it was a club. It was not a team. (laughs) It was just, so it was like a, uh, just like the math club, you know, or I guess you'd call that a team still, but either way, all the seniors graduated. I was a freshman. So I automatically became president of the mini golf club. And then I, I don't know if I led it to success, but I, I definitely, played my heart out i left my heart on the green on the windmill <laughs> i was about to say on the uh the little weird shaped things that you have to hit the ball I, I you know what i i liked you prior and during this and we've had a good time but i i don't know in my 43 years if i've ever heard somebody else ever reference leaving their heart out on the green when it is a reference to I want to be very clear, not a mini golf team, but a mini golf club. So president, though. I, I, I mean, really impressed by that. I have to say the numero uno where I can say that I've never heard anything, but that hundred percent fact, I've never even had a conversation about a mini golf club. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm impressed to that. I mean, I was president of a lot of clubs, but that one, that one holds a special place in my heart. The, the, the nursing home club, the soup kitchen club. Sure. They were fun. But I mean, nothing really stands up to those days when I made, when I sunk the putt and I hit that loop and it went all the way around. I think there's a difference between mini golf and putt putt too. I want to be clear. I think when there's obstacles, it's putt putt. And when there's none, it's called mini golf. And as a bonus, my fifth grade spelling bee, I lost with the word miniature because I didn't know it was miniature. I didn't you know, M-I-N-A-T-U-R-E, and I will never forget the the failure I felt. So I think I was a re- it was a redemption story when I became president of the miniature golf club team. Well, I, I, I could not agree more. It was, if this is not one of those redemption stories, I think, I don't, I don't know you that well, you might have the rights to it, but if you have not taken the rights to the, the redemption story of the miniature golf club, I, I think we could probably collaborate on this and, and take it to a pretty high level. I can only imagine it's a well-worn path that has many books about, about it, but, you know, maybe I could add myself to the pile of, of uh, you know, standing on the shoulders of, of the mini golf giants. <laughs> uh, standing on the, on the shoulders of the miniature champions along the way. Yeah, yeah, the smaller victories. <laughs> I suck at regular golf. It's so bad. I, I it was a part three. I hit it probably a foot from the hole and I still got a par. Nice. You know, like I, the amount of uh, just 
fear and intensity that goes into every golf swing, like when it's a legitimate golf game, I'm, I, I crumble. I'm like one of those press button collapse toys, you know, it's like held together with all the tension, right? When I'm, it's my, cause there's three other guys who are better than me at golf, usually watching me. And I'm like, okay, is this going, you know, three feet to the left of me and landing there? Or is it gonna, I mean, there's no real good thing. You got to have a golf cart. You got to have beer. Those are my two requirements. And then I'll have some fun. We've had fun together. I think playing in a foursome, I am, Almost every single time I've played golf, 18 holes, I'm always usually the longest off of every tee shot. And people say, oh, wow. I said, no, no, let me finish my sentence. I'm the longest off of the tee, the question of where it goes. So if I'm 30 yards longer, but I'm playing three holes again back and the guy is you know, 20 feet shorter than me, but he's perfectly in the middle of the fairway, people are like, oh, so it's a good, I'm like, no, no, it's like I hit out of 18 holes, I'll hit two tee shots that are perfectly straight. The other 16 are backwards. I'll do an S trapezoid shape. So I think you and I would have been, we'd had a lot of fun or we would have walked a lot, probably looking for our balls during the round. Absolutely. And also me missing that one foot putt was after being president of the mini golf club. So like that should be the easiest version of putting when there's no obstacles and you know, it's basically a gimme. I couldn't. I wish I had a big clown or something in the way that maybe that would have had me get the get it in the hole. But who knows? Last question I've got for you before we tell people where to find you is uh, what are you going to fail at next? What's the next thing you're going to fail until you nail? I, I love that question. And and for me, it's it's getting my next client, because the way I look at it is I'm looking to spread our mission and message of inspiration and positivity and for every client that says yes, whether it's a team individual, there's one that says no or or doesn't even respond to an email or phone call. And for me, it's just knowing that it is a numbers game, but it's it's not allowing that missed phone call or not return message or email to stop me from sending the next one. So I hope that happens many times throughout the rest of this year and heading into next year. I don't remember where I heard this or how true it is, but I remember reading, and by reading, I usually mean listening to an audiobook uh, of a sales guy who his his main methods for being so good at sales was he had uh, one jar full of 120 marbles and another jar that was empty. And every time he made a call, he'd move one marble into the other jar. And as long as he moved all 120 that day, that's the the accomplishment. And so I always try to keep my goal setting with things I can control similar to what you're talking about with the marriage. Like some things are in your control. Some are not. How many people listen to this isn't really in my control with how many episodes I record or edit properly and put out into the world. That absolutely is. So I, I think, I think it's definitely important and I wish you much success with whatever the next client is. I could use your services, but probably couldn't afford them. If, well, I, I'll say this. I, we can barter where if you're willing to give me miniature golf, lessons then maybe we can barter and and yeah for that for that I feel like it's a, a highly imbalanced barter you know my what i can provide to you in that in that respect is is severely limited and it's uh, probably 18 years ago knowledge so and by knowledge i mean i'm using that word very loosely <laughs> uh, where can people find you where, where i mean no quitliving.com no is that the best place uh, miniaturegolfclub.com <laughs> No, uh, noquitliving.com is the website or the positivitytribe.com. I'm most active on Instagram, but I love giving my my personal email address, which is chris at noquitliving.com. And I really and truly believe that we all can can learn from each other. And, and I've had a fantastic time on the show today. It's I think when you get to mix what you enjoy, what you what you're passionate about with humor and and not from a making fun perspective, but from a having fun perspective, I think that's one thing that I can honestly say in this last 20 plus months during this pandemic, so many people have gotten away from, from having fun along the way. And, and again, going back to what I said, it's not at somebody's expense, but it's enjoying life. And, and you never know, I never know how much time we have doing whatever we're doing. And, and I just hope that something I said today inspired one person to, to keep going. I, I hope that something you said inspired somebody to to go after that failure or that missed opportunity and not allow it to to stop them from 
going after the next one. So I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. And I'm super excited that you're going to give me some miniature golf lessons. That's, that's oh, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll work through all those problems. If you got the yips, I don't even want to talk about them, but you know, I, I've got some, some, some tactics that, uh, who the hell knows? I don't even know if I, uh, did well. I just was president, you know, I just, I think there's a bunch of people that would, would say the same thing. I don't know if, if our last two presidents did well, they were just a president. <laughs> I think indirectly you have a lot in common with Biden and Trump. So not only are you a fantastic miniature golf club president, but at this rate, you could probably also be a good president based on these last two uh, gentlemen. I'm 36 years old, so I'm just now starting to be able to run. And I'm going to run on the platform of that. I was uh, multi multiple presidents. And there was also a couple other clubs that I didn't mention, but I'm not going to. I'm going to throw my email out there, though, because I never hear from anybody. So if you're a listener and you're all oh, you made it to the end of this episode, congratulations. But Ben at pod dot fail 10 letters total. Ben at pod.fail. Feel free to email me. Tell me if you hate the show, love the show, want to, you know, complain about me or Chris or any of my past guests or future guests. I'd love to hear it because I don't know anything about what people are thinking. It's just I send it out. I see how many people did or didn't listen. And I wonder what they think. How, how can you see how many people did or didn't listen? I, I can see how many people did listen, but how do you find out how many people didn't Most listen? Most people didn't listen is how I find <laughs> out. It's just I, I subtract the world population minus whoever did listen. You know what? I will tell you that is a that is what you should run on for your for your platform for the next president. You should say there are 7.975 <laughs> billion people that have not listened to my show and you have something in common with them. Therefore, you should vote for me as president. Yeah. I see. And I as I'm you. saying that, I'm also reducing the number. You know, I'm, I'm curious about that. I'm very curious. I like that. <laughs> I'm always curious and I'm never going to stop. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. If anybody didn't catch also, you have a podcast called No Quit Living. You've got another one that you're going to probably release before I even get this one edited. So you can feel free to name drop that if you're if you're stuck on the name or if, if you don't know yet what you're going to call it. That's fine, too. It's the cult, <laughs> the culture coaches podcast. And I think based on our conversation, I'm also going to release in 2020 never the golf <laughs> success podcast. That sounds great. And I'm going to send you this the video of this because maybe you'll do something with it before I do and and get some of this very important uh, information out to the public. But I do appreciate you being on the show. I appreciate you sharing some of the the darker times, even though we didn't get too dark, thankfully, uh, because it seems like you're in a great spot, you know. But one thing that's always amazing to me is how much, no matter what you hear from people on their failures, your own failures and actually experiencing it is really one of the only ways. Like you can hear it 10 times, but until you really feel it, a lot of times for me, at least personally, I got to experience it in order for me to actually have it stick because it's uh, once you send out that email to like 10,000 people and you realize you made a spelling mistake or whatever, you're not going to make a spelling mistake again, even if but if someone's listening and they're going to send an email, you're going to make a mistake, even though I just told you to proofread it. So point is, like, I hope that sharing our failures helps people out but at the very least i hope it takes the sting out of the word and lets people be more comfortable with the possibility of failure in their lives because or whatever you want to call it the ability to screw up and look at it as a learning lesson and not as something to beat yourself up over uh is super important i couldn't agree more and and definitely check your spelling of your emails yep absolutely and grammar and make sure that you're not I've had all the images not work, you know, and it's like that was the whole point is like I was walking through how to do Excel things and none of the images loaded because I didn't put them in right. So then I had to send it back out. But now it's been seven or eight months since I've emailed my list and it's, I don't know, 13,000 people. And I'm like, wow, why am I not emailing them? Well, if you send me that list, I'll email them. Perfect. That's what they signed up for, for sure. Um, so that I don't think there'll be any GDPR issues or problems with me just forking it over to you so you can do whatever you want with it. Thankfully, we look about the same, so they might not get uh, that confused. And if they do, that's fine. I welcome confusion in my life. So thanks again. I appreciate it. And um, 
I look forward to uh, letting the listeners hear uh, your story. Thank you. Would you like to be more efficient, productive, and confident in your work at the office? Over 750 million people worldwide use Excel, yet it's still a misunderstood and frequently misused tool. That's why I created Excel Exposure, so you can work smarter and not harder. The Excel Essentials course gives you over five hours of in-depth video lessons, plus it comes along with my master workbook which has every function, shortcut, and all the examples to follow along. Investopedia actually included my course in their list of six best online Excel classes of 2021, saying it's best for visual learners. As someone who's an expert in failure, I can certainly teach you and your team how to avoid spreadsheet failures and create bulletproof Excel documents. Use the coupon code FAILURE for 20% off of the lifetime access price. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information and also my existing award-winning free training. Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time.